comes in and visits because I listen in to a lot of the, as many chapel sessions as I can from my office. I've been under the ministry and, uh, of your president for about 49 of my 55 years on this earth. He's like a father to me, a mentor, a friend, and an example of faithfulness, consistency, humility, kindness, um, and just an example of, um, of a work ethic that's just amazing. Ways, in so many ways that I can't begin to recount. Someday I want to be like that man. I follow him as he follows Christ, and as much as I know you appreciate the privilege of studying in this institution under his leadership, I can tell you that in the coming decades, you're going to look back with great fondness on the time that you had here and, and the respect that you'll have for John MacArthur and the staff and the faculty that are so influential in your life right now. Well, I want to um, talk to you today about integrity. As you know, I'm going to start off, I'm going to read two verses from Psalm 15, verses 1 and 2. O Lord, who may abide in your tent, who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. Let me pray. Lord, I pray that this morning in the midst of a busy life, Lord, I know the distractions that are in the hearts and minds of all of us here today. Lord, all of us pray that you would help us focus on your word. Lord, help us to be different for having been here today. To your praise and your glory, in Christ's name, amen. Well, as Harry told you, I work in the area of forensic accounting. Some of you think um, that sounds like a disease, and it might be. About an hour and a half ago, I put down my calculator, so to speak, picked up my Bible, jumped in the car, and came over here to worship the Lord with you. I started out my career over 30 years ago as an accountant who did tax returns and financial statements. The business majors know what that means. But by God's design and his providence and even, I would say, his kindness, that career was interrupted about 20 years ago when I was retained on a fraud matter and that case changed the course of my entire career. At the successful end of that case, people went to jail. I was recruited by the FBI and was drawn very seriously towards a life of federal law enforcement. One of the key parts of my decision process at that point was that I wanted to maintain my love and my commitment to ministry in the local church, so I made a decision to not go that direction but I slowly immersed my professional life in the practice of accounting, in the context of complex criminal and civil litigation, as a consultant and a testifying expert. It's been a fascinating and a challenging career. In fact, I'm in the midst right now of trial preparation, and I prayed like crazy that I wouldn't be called to trial this morning. God is good. I spend a fair amount of my professional time working with attorneys and others preparing for depositions and courtroom testimony about the investigative work I've done and the conclusions that I've reached. As you can imagine, forensic accounting has exposed me to liars of all persuasions, ranging from the rookies to the sociopathic. I have by necessity studied the science of lying. I teach now the science of detecting lies. Lying is a stressful activity. 
Deception creates physical pressures and physiological reactions that are evident to the trained eye. A dishonest, immoral life takes a toll on the physical body as well as the mental state and capacity of an individual that is extraordinary. Those stresses are real. And they're used as a means to detect dishonesty. This science, like all science, simply affirms the work and the word of the Creator. For example, David in the Bible, you're probably familiar, was a great sinner. He was involved in murder, adultery, pride, a secret life of deception. But David had a great Savior. And his great Savior disciplined him. And in the process of that discipline, David wrote Psalm 38. And in there he said, There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities are gone over my head. In other words, I'm in deep. As a heavy burden, they weigh too much for me. That's the science of deception. I have in the course of my career spent a lot of time exposing lies that range from the simple spoken untruths to exposing the extensive complexity of a secret life and even criminal behavior. The consequences for those who are exposed range from ruined lives and reputations to incarceration and sometimes even more tragic consequences. I think of a case a couple years, many years ago by now, involved a corporate executive who by all accounts, his family, his church, his co-workers, everyone in the industry, everyone in the community thought this man was the pillar of honesty, reliability, and competence. But he was living a double life that included gambling, immorality of a scope and scale that shocked his wife and children and a grasping materialism, all which led to the embezzlement of corporate funds to pay for this secret life. That secret hidden life was exposed, and sadly his career was ended. The secret hidden life was exposed on the evening news and on the front page of the newspaper here in Southern California. A few weeks later, he was found dead in his home. He had killed himself. The labor of the secret life had not prepared him for the immense guilt of it all being exposed. And I can tell you, nobody leaves college. Nobody here is leaving here aspiring to be on the evening news someday, famous for an exposed double life and all the wreckage that it leaves behind. That happens in a thousand small and big steps. <clears throat> The first step in that direction is usually a very small, innocuous compromise. And it just happens because of lack of commitment to honesty, morality, and integrity. And the failure to catch those first few compromising steps. You're going to leave the Master's University, I hope, right? You are. And part of the mission and the goal of this university is that you will assume leadership positions in, in business, in music, in education, the arts, medicine, the law. Some of you, I pray, in the church, certainly in your family. And as you 
look for that career job. I can tell you as an employer, you really only need three qualities. Here's the secret to life, okay? As you apply for your career job, you really only need three qualities. Curiosity, a work ethic, and integrity. I will hire and promote someone with those three qualities over technical competence every time. I can teach the technical. I can't instill curiosity, a work ethic, or integrity. This morning I want to focus, obviously, on one of those qualities, integrity. Integrity is a morally innocent life lived consistently. Upright. Blameless. It is a consistent life in that regard between what you say you're going to do and what you do. Integrity is a consistent life between how you act in public and who you are in private. Integrity is moral uprightness in front of Christians and moral uprightness in your behavior around non-Christians. It is a consistency between who you say you are and who you really are. And you know who you really are. Integrity is a life free from the stress and strain of living a lie, of hiding shameful and immoral behavior. It is a life free from the fear of exposure. If you're to live a life of righteousness and integrity and morality, the decision and action to accomplish that starts now. A life of honesty, morality, and integrity requires planning, focus, and execution. It doesn't just happen. And nobody can do it for you. You must set off from here with that as your consuming goal if at the end of the, your days anyone is to say about you, there goes a man or there goes a woman who lived a life of integrity. And you must be vigilantly careful about those first few innocuous, compromising steps away from integrity. The Bible has a lot to say about integrity, and I want you to know this morning what it says. Because I want each of you to commit today before the Lord to live a life of integrity. That is my prayer here this morning, to the praise and glory of our Savior Jesus Christ. I want you to commit this morning to live consistently in all phases of your life with who you say you are. I want you to begin the patterns now that get, will give your wife or your husband someday or you, and your children and those who know you at the end of your life to say there is a person of integrity. You know, the Bible makes clear that a life of integrity is a very blessed life. Proverbs 2, verse 7 and 8 says, God stores up wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. That's a blessed life. Proverbs 10, verse 9 says, He who walks in integrity walks securely. But he who perverts his ways, get this, will be found out. Proverbs 11.3, the integrity of the upright will guide them, but the crookedness of the treacherous, get this, will destroy them. 
the God of the universe, your creator and savior, shields, guards, preserves, and protects those who walk in integrity. What a blessing. And I hope you caught the contrast. Those who do not walk in integrity, those who are the fakers, the pretenders, those with the secret life, those who do not walk in integrity will be found out and they will be destroyed. That's hard truth. That's why Proverbs 19.1 says, Better is the poor man who walks in his integrity than he who is perverse in speech and is a fool. So a life of integrity is blessed by God, but there's another side to integrity, and I would not do um, you any favors by hiding this from you. There are challenges to the life of integrity. I'll be blunt because the Bible is blunt. Amos 5.10 says, They hate him who reproves in the gate. They abhor him who speaks with integrity. You know what the word abhor means? Pretty much how it sounds. Those with integrity to some people are distasteful. And they're so distasteful and they hate them so much they are motivated to harm. Job, in the Bible, was a man of integrity. There's a description of Job in the first verse of Job, Job 1.1, and it's repeated three times in the book of Job, and it's quite a description. The description is this. There's a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. If you hear nothing else I hear this morning, underline that in your Bible. That is your goal. That is integrity. The second time that description is used of Job, by the way, is when the Lord is talking to Satan. And the God of the universe says about Job, he says in in verse 8 of chapter 1, Have you considered my servant Job, for there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless an upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. You see, Satan hated, he abhorred Job's integrity. He abhorred him and wanted permission to bring him down, and and the Lord allows Satan to test Job's integrity, to find out who he really was by taking away all of his wealth and his family, all of his assets, the source of his income, his employees, his friends, his family, they're all gone in one day. It happens. What's Job's response to all of that? Verse 20 of chapter 1, Job arose and tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and cursed God. Is that what it says? Job worshipped. That's integrity. That's who Job really was. God allowed Satan to take everything away from Job, but did not permit harm to Job physically, so Satan isn't done yet. He wants at Job even more. Why? Because he hates integrity. He abhors integrity. So the description of Job happens one more time. Satan comes to the Lord again, and the Lord says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Now, I just want to pause and think, 
and put in your mind, wouldn't it be awesome to know that the God of the universe would say this about you and me? Not once, not twice, but three times. Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil, and he still holds fast his integrity. Although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. But God gives Satan permission to go after Job one more time. He went out from the presence of the Lord, verse 7 says of chapter 2, and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. But after Satan, there's one more test for Job. Two verses later, you've probably heard this before, verse 9, Job's wife says to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? I told you the life of integrity is a challenge. His own wife said, give it up. Curse God and die. What's Job's response? Verse 10, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips, it says. That's integrity. It's a man living exactly in accordance with who he says he is. He's blameless, upright, God-fearing, or God-revering, and turning away from evil consistently in every circumstance. If you hold fast your integrity, I promise you, you will be mocked, you will be challenged, you will be tested, and even encouraged at times to forsake your integrity. Some will even hate you. It is a challenge. I can tell you from the, my experience in the business world, there's all kinds of opportunity to compromise your integrity. I can attest to the fact that there are those who will target your integrity. They will try to seduce your resolve away from a commitment to integrity for the same reason Satan wanted to take a, Job, a shot at Job. They hate him who reproves in the gate. They abhor those who speak with integrity. Satan would have loved to take Job down not so much for Job, but to diminish God. Satan would have loved to take Job down to claim victory over the steadfastness of God's unbreakable bond with a believer. So, that's a dire story, I tell you, but I also want to say be encouraged. Satan was unsuccessful. Job survived the test. He excelled in the test. And so can you. Remember that God guards, preserves, and protects and guides those who walk in their integrity. Now, if you turn over, back over to Psalm 15 where I started, we're going to spend a little bit of time here. You heard me read, O Lord, who may abide in your tent, who may dwell on your holy hill, he who walks in his what? All right, I'm going to try that again. <laughs> o Lord, who may abide in your tent, who may dwell on your holy hill, he who walks with what? 
All right, you said it. Integrity, there it is. And works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. And then the next couple verses lays out, there's seven phrases that are used that are examples of integrity. What does integrity look like? I told you that integrity is a blameless, upright life, revering God that turns away from evil. Consistently, in every circumstance. And in Psalm 15, we get four tests for you to examine, am I a man of integrity? Am I a woman of integrity? Or if you aspire to integrity, and I hope you do, how then should I live? And I'm going to lay it out for you, or or the psalmist lays it out here. I've broken it down this way. The first thing he lays out is that a man or a woman of integrity is blameless in their relationships. Blameless in their relationships. Verse 3, he does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. It's all relationship. What is slander? Does not slander with his tongue. A slander is defined really well in Exodus 23.1. It says, you shall not bear a false report. It's the first half of the verse. That's lying. That's using untruths about somebody else. A person of integrity doesn't do that. That verse goes on to say, do not join your hand with the wicked man to be a malicious witness. A malicious witness is someone who deals in truth to the harm of somebody else. You all know things about other people that's truth, but you do not share it because you do not want to slander that person. That's integrity. You do not slander with your tongue. You don't do evil to your neighbor. You don't take up a reproach against a friend. That's a really interesting phrase. There's a cognitive dissonance in that verse. I don't know if you picked up on that. It's somewhat natural to take up a reproach against an enemy, but to take up a reproach against a friend? There's a mismatch there. You see, a man or a woman of integrity is a faithful friend. Faithful in relationships. They're kind and patient. A person with integrity deals with a dispute or a concern with another person honorably, graciously with the person involved and not with other people. So, one evidence of integrity is someone who is blameless in relationships. The second is that a man or a woman is holy in their affections. If you look at verse 4, this is an interesting verse from beginning to end. In whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. A man of integrity knows a reprobate, understands how the Lord views a reprobate, does not honor the reprobate but honors, admires, looks up to those who fear the Lord. Who do you admire? Who is your hero? Not what you tell other people, but in your heart, who do you want to be like? Whose influence do you look for in your life? Is it the reprobates of our culture, or is it those who revere the Lord? 
Are your heroes those who revere the Lord, or are, those, or are your heroes those who abhor those who walk in their integrity? You see, your integrity is measured by who you admire and who you want to be like. That's the point of verse 4. The bad boy rebels, or the blameless, upright, turning away from evil, revering the Lord people out there. Ladies, I'm going to talk to you for a minute. Maybe it's because I have three daughters. I'm a little sensitive to this. Ladies, as you walk in your integrity, the purity of your affections and the holiness of your affections is really, really important. Because what I'm describing here is the man of integrity, and that's who you want to marry someday. A man who with integrity reveres the Lord. I promise you that while you walk this life in integrity, ladies, you will want to walk with a man who can lead you into integrity with integrity. A man of integrity who fears the Lord. A faithful, consistent bedrock of a man who walks in his integrity and cannot be moved, who lives his Christianity in every circumstance, in sickness and in health, in poverty and in wealth. And men, this is what you need to be today. So, a man and a woman of integrity is blameless in their relationships They're pure or holy in their affections. The next part of verse 4 deals with that they are accountable in their reliability. This is really interesting. Verse 4 says, at the end, he swears to his own hurt and does not change. You see, a man of integrity is a man of his word. And what's interesting is he's accountable in that reliability, not to his pastor, not to um, his friends, not to his RD, not to a professor, but a man or a woman of integrity who is a man or a woman of their word is accountable to their own words. What they say they're going to do, they do. What they say they're not going to do, they don't do. Where they say they're going to be, that's where they are. They make commitments with their mouth that are translated into actions of their life. Very simple. You take a loan, you are making a commitment to what? Pay it back. A man and a woman of integrity never, ever question whether they're going to pay it back. That's just what they do. That's what we're talking about. Promises, commitments, you're as good as your word. And Ecclesiastes 5 is brilliantly clear on this, devastatingly clear. I'll read this to you, starting in verse 4. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin, and do not say in the presence of a messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your words? 
and destroy the work of your hands. For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. You see, a man or a woman of integrity doesn't talk about how they meant to follow through or that they will follow through. They just do it. They are reliable. Don't you want to be married to someone like that someday? So many divorces are due to a complete and total breakdown and a lack of integrity. One or the other partner says, gee, I made a mistake when I told you that I was committed to you for life. That is a completely foreign statement to someone with any measure of integrity. I made a commitment to Anne 30 years ago, and there is nothing that will break that commitment. Anne's my wife, by the way. And you know, in our marriage, early on in my career, I changed jobs. And I told my new bride, look, I know there's been a lot of change in our life, but I'm going to stay in this job for two years. We're not making any more moves for two years. What was that? That was a commitment. That was a flippant comment I made that I learned to completely regret. But I never considered leaving that employment. I had a a partner in that firm that absolutely despised me, made my life miserable, was a horrible human being. And I stayed there for two years. And I don't tell you this to be the hero of my story, but to tell you that that's what integrity does, and the Lord blesses that integrity. Because when I finally hit the two-year mark and decided I'm out of here, I'm going to go start my own firm. One of the other partners in the firm said, hey, can I come with you? And he is my partner to this day. What a blessing. A man of integrity swears to his own hurts. And that swearing to your own hurt, that word hurt, one of us, a couple of us were already talking this morning that that's the experience of life. You make a commitment, you keep the commitment, and you learn next time, maybe not make that commitment. Because if I say I'm going to do something, I need to do it. So, blameless in their relationships, holy in their affections, accountable in their reliability to their own words, and fourthly, a man or a woman of integrity deals honestly with money, honest business dealings. Verse 5, he does not put his money out at interest. This isn't talking about the normal business of loaning money and borrowing money. This is seeing somebody in a desperate condition, giving them some money to help them, and then taking advantage of them because of their desperate situation. In the time this was written, this was a practice of bad people that they would charge 50% interest on a loan. It's called loan sharking in the law enforcement world today. That's evil. Person of integrity doesn't do that. And then it goes on to say he does not take a bribe against the innocent. This is using your money, taking advantage of somebody with your money for your own benefit. You see, a man or a woman of integrity can't be bought. He's fair, clear-sighted, he's just. So there's four areas for you to examine. Are you blameless in your relationships? Are you pure and holy in your affections? 
Are you a man or a woman of your word? And are you honest in dealing with your money? Well, Psalm 15 opens up with this great question. O Lord, who may abide in your tent, who may dwell on your holy hill, he who walks with integrity. And I want to talk about and close this morning talking about the vindication of of integrity. And everything I've said up until now is really important, but what I'm about to say is really, really important. You see, if you claim to be a Christian, your integrity, what we've been talking about this morning, will vindicate that claim. It will prove that claim. How do I know that? Because of the question in verse 1 and the answer in verse 2. And then at the end of this short chapter, at the end of verse 5, it says, He who does these things will never be shaken. Never be shaken. Shaken. How long is never? It's a really long time. It's never. Psalm 7, verse 8 and 9 says, The Lord judges the peoples. Did you know that? Of course you knew that. The Lord judges the peoples. Vindicate me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and my integrity. That is in me. Friends, your integrity does not and will not ever save you. Did you hear that? Your integrity will not save you. Your integrity does and ever will give evidence of your claim of salvation. And nobody, not even Satan, will ever be able to break you. But there must be a word of warning as we come to a close here this morning. As much as integrity validates your claim of salvation in Jesus Christ, your lack of integrity will lay waste to that claim. Integrity is a lifestyle that is blameless, upright, revering and worshiping God, and turning away from evil in every circumstance, public and private. It is who you are with everyone at all times. The opposite of integrity is hypocrisy. And hypocrisy shatters your claim to salvation. Titus 1 defines hypocrisy as those who profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him. Integrity is someone who by their deeds They proclaim Him. Along with some challenges in a life of integrity, there is great gain in the life of integrity. Employers are looking for it. They hire it. They promote it. It's not just me. Potential spouses are looking for integrity. It's not just me. You know that's true. And some of you here might have figured all that out, and you are yourself pretending to be something that you're not to take advantage of those benefits without taking on any of the cost. Be on notice. Your lack of integrity gives you away. Hypocrisy is a bright and accurate spotlight into your soul. Your hypocrisy might be a secret to others, 
but you know. And the Lord knows. And it's only a matter of time before everybody else knows. We accountants call that a timing difference. Christ spoke to and about hypocrites. His most excoriating and precisely blunt language was directed at one group of people, spiritual hypocrites, those who lack integrity. Turn to Matthew 23 if you have your Bible. I just want to show you this very quickly. And I know this is a heavy, but it's really, really important. There is no middle ground. Matthew 23, starting in verse 13, you may be familiar with the passage, our eight woes. Verse 13, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. What's the next word? Hypocrites. Verse 14, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Wow, what a description. You are evil in your heart and in your behavior, and then you go to church and you pray in front of everybody. Verse 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 16, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You can go back and read this later. Verse 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This wasn't written just to Pharisees. This was written to you and me. Verse 29, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And it goes on to say that they are filled up with a measure of guilt. You see, your integrity validates your profession of faith in Jesus Christ your lack of integrity exposes a hypocrisy. Christianity is not an adornment. Christianity is not an accessory to be added to your appearance when it's convenient and helpful or taken off and hidden when it's not convenient. Christianity is either who you are and how you act or this is all just a big act. Some of you know in your heart that you're faking it. To use Christ's words, you outwardly look beautiful and righteous. You heard me read that. You say and do all the right things because you want to please your parents, your professors, or your friends. You want to fit in. You know that morality is attractive in a place like this. So you try to put it on. You want to fit in. Some of you actually think that that kind of fakery pleases God. And some of you think or hope that such behavior will somehow save you. But you know in your heart that you're a rebel. You're a hypocrite. There is no integrity. You've heard me read the Scripture. This isn't Chris Hamilton. This is the Word of God. It will break down. You will be exposed. 
I don't know who you are, most of you, and I don't know you, many of you. But I know this, that if I'm describing you, I just read it out of Matthew 23, you're filled with a measure of guilt, and I want to help you if that's you. There is grace. Right in the middle of this devastating passage in Matthew 23, in verse 25, there is grace. Verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they're full of robbery and self-indulgence. That doesn't sound like grace, does it? It's coming. Verse 26, You blind Pharisee, First, or let me just say it this way, you blind hypocrite. First, clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. If you're a hypocrite, there's really bad news here. The bad news is that the inside is filthy, dirty, full of dead men's bones. And, you, and the bad news is you think the outside looks good, but the Lord knows the outside looks like the inside. And the rest of the world may not figure it out for a while, but they will. But the good news is grace. Do you see it there in verse 26? If first clean the inside of the cup. That's grace. Why do I say that's grace? You must work to live a life of integrity. It's going to require purposeful work and effort, but that life is impossible unless the inside of the cup is clean. And you cannot clean the inside of the cup, and I cannot clean the inside of the cup, but who can? Jesus Christ. I know that's true because the Bible says it, and because he did that for me. Ezekiel 26 says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart. That's the inside. And put a new spirit within you. That's the inside of the cup. I will do that. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What an amazing, amazing grace. That's what has to happen if you want to purpose to live an honest life of integrity. And Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. And what does that do? That cleans the inside of the cup by God's grace. Ephesians 2 says that even when we were dead, dead men's bones, the inside of the cup was smelly, it was foul. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. For those of us that are saved, commit today to being blameless, upright, revering God, turning away from evil. Live a life of integrity. Live in accordance with who you say you are. Prepare for the challenges, but enjoy the benefits of a life of integrity that is a gift from God, and He will never let you go. For those of you who know you're faking it, please talk to somebody. End the game now. It does not end well. I see it every day. 
May the Masters University be known around this area, around this country, and even around the world for producing men and women who name the name of, of Christ and live accordingly in pure integrity. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that it was clear. Lord, I pray that I might not have gotten in the way of your message. Lord, work on all of our hearts today as we examine ourselves. Help us to go from here to live with integrity to the praise and glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.